This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Worth a try. And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hello, it's Off the Ball here on BFM. We're talking football and we are today going to be using a brand new uh, system approach. Instead of our usual 4-4-3, we're going to be going with two up front. And hey, four four three. Have I got too many players on the pitch? And and we're gonna. I've got two up front only. We have Arvin Sidhu. Hello, everyone. It's going to be an interesting show. I'm sure of it. Good to be here. Yep, Arvin. It could be an emotional show for you. And uh, we also have Sean Malhotra. Uh, he is a Manchester United fan, but he says he is the least partisan Manchester United <laughs> fan he knows. Yes, one hundred ten percent. I call it down the middle. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to put that to the test. So on today's show, we're going to be looking at the League Cup final, Premier League, and we're going to be taking a look also at uh, one of the shock news, which was that uh, Marcello Bielsa, uh, the manager of Leeds United, has been sacked. And, uh, and hopefully also we're going to have time to talk about what is happening at Chelsea. So let's begin with the League Cup final, which uh, it was a pulsating match, I thought. I, I have an American guy I know, and he says well, he thinks that football is, or soccer is rubbish because it can allow a nil-nil score. But I would point to a match like this and say, this was a hell of a nil-nil score. <laughs> and finally went to penalties. Liverpool uh, won it 11-10. to 10. And so uh, it was an exciting match, and I think a fair result. Let's, uh, let's ask you, Sean, what do you think? I think... <laughs> It was one of the most entertaining nil-nil games I've watched over 120 minutes. How neither team managed to get a goal really baffles me. I think it's a game where you can point out three goalkeepers who all have big talking points. Young goalkeeper at Liverpool was outstanding. Kelleher, I think. Outstanding. I think he made a huge save at the end of the 90 minutes against Lukaku that kept them in it. Mendy was sublime again and still staking his claims. I think personally the best goalkeeper in the world. And of course, uh, their penalty specialist, Kepa, which it's it's hindsight's a wonderful thing. I felt sad that, you know, Mendy got taken off in the 119th minute or so and Kepa came on. But it made sense because there were two finals before this that went to penalties and Kepa was their hero in those, fight, in those, those uh, penalty shootouts, right? Turns out he became the villain in this one. Didn't really come close to saving most of them. I think only one or two, maybe. But his penalty, oh my... <laughs> Rugby worthy in that one. <laughs> but I think as a final, it was very entertaining. Any team could have won it. I think if Chelsea won it, they would have deserved it. Liverpool winning it, they deserved it. It's the final of like offside calls. <laughs> just offside after offside after offside. But I think it was really, really entertaining. And Arvin, these were two pretty full-strength teams uh, playing at their best. I think, you know, we're, we're, I'm putting this to the panel on Friday. Are we, are we watching some of the best football ever at the moment that this team is second and third in the league they in any other season they could be first yeah they can be and it was a it was a game where both pretty much on knife edge and i agree with sean it was it was end to end uh, there were multiple chances goalkeeping heroics all of it was there but but i have to call out something in the Carabao cup has got has been given a lot a lot of flack over the last few years a lot of flack let's talk about getting rid of it. Let's talk about youngsters. Let's talk about B teams. A lot of flack. But when these big teams who have got squads that should not have any issues competing on four fronts, when they get to the likes of the semifinals and the finals, 
That's when you see them taking it seriously. All the youngsters that were played in games prior, prior and rounds prior are discarded. Liverpool did well by letting Kelleher continue playing. But what about all the other youngsters that played before? So it's it's with these big squads, when they take this tournament into context, it's it's a bit hypocritical because you've got big enough squads to be able to do it. And you saw how Liverpool celebrated at the end. They celebrated at the end with great joy because it's it's a trophy that Jürgen Klopp has lost a final before. And this is the good thing about Jürgen Klopp. He loses finals and he comes back and wins them. He's done it with the Champions League. He's lost the league by a point. He's lost the Carabao Cup final and he continues to win them and he learns from it. So I just feel Carabao Cup gets a lot of flack that it doesn't deserve. And you see a lot of the big teams really show what it should mean from them from the start when they get to the rounds of the, the quarters, the semis and the finals. Yeah, but but Arvin, I mean, you say they got big squads. They have to have big squads because they've got so many matches. And one of the reasons they've got so many matches is because they've got a stupid competition like the Carabao Cup uh, league Cup. I think England is England and Scotland. I think are the only leagues that have league cups. We're not. We're just putting more and more matches on these players and demanding that teams, clubs, spend money they often don't have. Yeah, that's true. But it it comes to a context that one man's uh, gold is probably another man's trash, right? I mean, what what might not mean much to Liverpool or the Man Cities of this world would mean some so much to a club like Spurs. You give Spurs any chance to win the Carabao Cup, they would have taken it because they haven't won anything for for many many years. So it's for me, if you want to take this competition and put it as an under twenty one or B squad uh, competition, I'm fine with that. But you maintain that consistency of it throughout throughout the duration. You don't come halfway the semis and the finals and say, "Oh, I'm going to play ten out of my eleven strongest squad because now suddenly I want it." The players that got you there have been discarded. Because right at the end, you say, oh, this is an opportunity for me to, to get to get a cup. Jürgen Klopp probably went into this game probably thinking, this is my, my one chance to win a trophy. Yes, I'm, I might win the league as well. But this is a real chance for me to get something on the board. I'm yeah. just concerned about the way that you structure putting players throughout it and only taking it seriously at the end, which I think is not the right way to do it. Well, Sean, I mean, I, I really don't like the league cup. But, we, uh, yeah. but you a fan? Yeah, of course. I mean... For me, I want to see as much football as possible, whether it's United or Liverpool or City, whoever. Of course, I want to see more games. Part of me does believe that, you know, when you look at the bigger clubs, you look at Liverpool, you look at City, you look at Arsenal, Chelsea and United. Whenever the League Cup starts, you'll see a lot of the under-18s, you'll see a lot of the reserves players play. Not only is it an opportunity for them to stake their claim in the team, but it's also a place where, you know, it happens mid- midweek, right? So you see the bigger clubs, they have Champions League games, they have League games, they have FA Cup games. Your midweek games, you don't want to stress these players as much as possible, maybe. So you start your younger players. And there's an opportunity for fans that, who, you know, maybe don't get to watch the younger players play. Like, for example, your Harvey Elliott's of the world or your Kelleher's of the world. You won't see them as much, maybe, in your league games. So when you see them in the League Cup games, you maybe go, hey, you know what? This is one for the future. Uh-huh. So it's a, it's a place for you to actually, you know, say, hey, maybe this guy can make it in my team in the future as well. Okay, it was a good match, but I'm still unconvinced by the League Cup. Uh, <laughs> your arguments fall on deaf ears, I'm afraid, with me. But uh, we're going to move now to something which, uh, well, on a, on a sad note, uh, Marcello Bielsa was sacked by uh, Leeds United after, well, after his team um, lost, and I have to, it's a lot of goals, I have to quickly look it up. It was um, 4-0 to Spurs. Spurs, by the way, which had just been defeated by Burnley. And in their previous match, they lost 6-0 to Liverpool. And, uh, well, Arvin, how, as a Leeds fan, how are you feeling? It's not easy. 
there's a famous saying saying don't cry because it happens smile smile for it but it's uh it's tough uh, Marcelo Bielsa has meant the absolute world to us I mean you you look yes football fans who, who watch the Premier League will think of the the six nils against the Liverpool the four twos against the Man United the four nils against Spurs not taking that anything away it's happened but you're looking at a man who has been with the club for three and a half years and for three years he has done not just what is needed, he's gone above and beyond for our club. Um, he not just transformed the club, he transformed the city of Leeds. He brought everyone together. He's an absolute, absolute gentleman. You have, We have been on the show for years. You have never heard Marcelo Bielsa complain about a referee, about a call, about injuries, because he's a true, he's a true gentleman of the game. We fans internally grateful. I'm I'm internally grateful for what he's done for my club. He's the best manager I've seen in my time. I'm not afraid if I'm caring right now because he just means that much to me. But what the club has done is has split the fan base quite a bit. You would find 90% of the fans against this move. 10% of them saying maybe a change was needed because he should have been given time to turn this around. The fixtures were turning. There were winnable games in March. But I guess in modern football, the way football works... If you concede that many, you lose that many, you're dropping like a stone. Owners think that what's going to happen to my investment. Leeds have got a big deal coming at the end of the season with the San Francisco 49ers. That deal is dependent on Leeds staying in the Premier League. The San Francisco 49ers, an American franchise, has obviously called the shots to get Jesse March, who will be announced as a new manager later today. So there's, there's a lot of power, power play happening at the back. But Marcelo, we will miss you. I will tremendously miss you. And for the Leeds United Supporters Club Malaysia, we just want to say thank you for everything. Making me feel emotional there, Arvin. <laughs> um, uh, Sean, you 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 can sympathise in a way, can't you, as a Manchester United fan? I mean, you when Ferguson left, is this the same equivalent kind of thing? But at the same time, Ferguson volunteered to leave. You retired. But it was the right decision, wasn't it? Context-wise, I think the emotions are the same, but for varying reasons. I grew up in a time where United were winning league titles and Champions League finals and FA Cup finals and League Cup finals every season or so. So I was so used to success. And when Sir Alex left, it came out of the blue because there was no reports leading up to it. We weren't struggling. We just won the league points-wise. We already won the league. And he announced he was leaving. So emotionally, I was torn because I could never imagine another man at the helm because that was the only man I'd ever seen manage United throughout my entire childhood. And the thing is, when he left, I knew things were going to change, right? And we've seen it. It's been almost 10 years and it's just progressively been getting worse. Yeah, but but it's, I mean, we're, let's, talk, let's talk Leeds for a moment. Yeah. For, uh, <laughs> I mean, if you, if you go into the Leeds point of view, I think as a United fan, I'm supposed to be overjoyed or whatever, but I think it's quite sad because I've enjoyed Bielsa's football. I, I mean, I, I didn't watch the championship when they came up, but I saw them last season and, some of the football leads play is actually really entertaining to watch. I tell my friends there are two teams aside from Manchester United that I enjoy watching, which is Leeds and Wolves, because they play attractive football. So defensively, they may not be great, but they played some no fear. Every player in Leeds, I always felt that, you know what, from front to back, they play with no fear. And I think that's what Bielsa's like influence on the team rubbed off. So it's gonna be sad to see a huge character leave the Premier League. Yeah. Uh Arvin, very quickly, who um who is the this new Potential manager. So Jesse March has has is someone who has built a reputation around Europe as an American who's come and kind of got himself Europeanized in the way of his tactics and philosophy. Uh, he was very successful at RB Salzburg. 
two two titles year on year. He had that front trio of Erling Haaland, Huang Chihan, and Takumi Minamino. So he he was he kind of saw the development of that before they went on to bigger and better things. Uh, he 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 emphasizes timing of pressing. Um, he when when players release the ball, not receiving it. Um, he plays a very interesting four-two-two-two formation. But in his time in RB Salzburg, he had nine different formations in in the first nine months. So you can see a lot of what Marcelo Bielsa has ingrained in the squad for the last three and a half years potentially there. My only concern is that you're bringing an unknown quantity to re- to effectively fight a relegation battle. That is my my main concern with this. It's it's someone who doesn't know the English league. We've seen teams, we've seen Watford change their manager, they're still down there. We've seen Norwich change their manager, they're still down there. We've seen Everton change their manager, they're not doing much better. Leeds have gone for a quantity that's outside the league. Yes, it's different and out of box, but you're getting you're depending on something and you're hedging your bet on something which is it's a big it's a March is a huge month for for Leeds United. Mm. They need to get wins. They I don't think the club can afford to go down. Uh, so it's a huge month. But again, I, I just have to say I am absolutely torn that Marcelo is gone. I, I don't think I will recover from this for a long time. I'll miss you, Marcelo. Oh, Arvind. Well, we're, I think we're all going to miss uh, Marcelo Bielsa's fo- uh, brand of football. And who knows, he might be back. And uh, we're, in a moment, we're going to be looking at more Premier League ups and downs here on Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. Captain, leader, legend... Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. And uh, we're going through the Premier League matches that happened over the weekend. And I want to start with... For me, there were no real standout matches, but I'd like to really look at Everton nil, Man City 1. Some really emotional um, moments in that match with the Ukrainian players. And uh, I think the Ukraine war will crop up again later in our show when we talk about Chelsea. And uh, but Everton, I think, really held not just held Man City for eighty-two minutes, but they created a lot of chances. And uh, and of course, there's one more big talking point here, which we'll get to in a moment, I'm sure. And Sean, what did you think of um, were Everton robbed? I think the goal that City scored. I mean, it was it was a good goal, right? Foden scores a good goal, but of course, there's a moment in that game where you'd say, "Hey, you know what, Everton? Maybe you should have deserved the draw at the very least." They played well, you know. They held City for as long as they did. That, that I, I mean, if you're gonna look at one moment, it's so hard because City had so many chances. They could have scored two, three if they wanted to. Everton could have scored one or two, but that one moment in the game, I think, is the one that's shrouding everything. Probably Frank Lampard's gonna be fine for his comments after the game, talking about Chris Kavanagh, who was in charge of VAR on the day. I think Everton have a lot that they can look at from this game and move forward. I still think they'll be safe, you know, from relegation. But there's a lot they can build on from this game. They may Mm. have lost, but they're losing to the league champions. So I don't think they can take take solace in that. Well, yeah, because they came so close. But the big talking point would be the Rodri handball that wasn't a handball. Uh, Arvin, what are are your positions on, on this? Because it would have been a penalty. Any day of the week, twice on Sundays, that's a penalty. I don't get how that's not a penalty. I really don't. I I think Paul Tierney consulted Chris Kavanagh. And I know if Daz was on the show, he would literally be throwing bar under the bus <laughs> like he's many times done before. But yeah, um, I think the, the, the report said there was not enough conclusive evidence to overturn the decision. I, I do not get, I don't get how more conclusive can you get 
it it literally hits him in the in the arm. So I, I don't. And Sean is showing it right now. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. Uh, Everton defended admirably. I, they regularly reminded City on their threat on the counter attack, but and they've lost out potentially a very important point to avoid the drop. Uh, I, I also think that they will be safe. But these are the games where when you get those points, they feel like three points because you're up against a Man City, right? So it was real gritty from Man City. Or fortunate to win. Uh, they predictably, you know what they do. They dominate possession. They have the bigger share of the half chances. But in typical Pep Roulette, again, and we, we've talked about this season on season, we don't want him to overthink things. I could not get his decision of, of putting his top scorer, Riyad Mahrez, on the bench. Riyad Mahrez has had a fantastic few weeks. I, I don't get that. And for the goal that they scored, Phil Foden, great. But Michael Keane, I mean, just lost all concentration. The last thing you need is someone like Phil Foden nicking in front of you. So... City, gritty, but fortunate. And when they look back, if they win the title, they will say, yeah, that's one that got away from us. I mean, I, I don't like to uh, criticise um, referees, actually. I really don't. But that, to me, was like clear-cut. How, I don't know how it could be not a handball. That's it the thing. hit him it's, in it's, his arm. It's not the first time this season. It's, it's happened so many times with so many decisions, whether it's offsides, whether it's handballs, whether it's tackles. Where is the line? Where is the, the conclusive, hey, you know what? This is actually what the rules are instead of, or oh, maybe it's not, maybe it's this, maybe it's not. There, the referee should come out and say, you know what? Why is it that wasn't a handball? Why is it that wasn't a penalty instead of, oh, there's not enough conclusive uh, information? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe VAR needs VAR. Uh, you know, to another court of appeal, yeah. federal court above. I'm not quite sure how it works, but it's uh, there's something there. Uh, okay, Sean, I'm going to give you a chance now. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about Manchester United nil, Watford nil. Watford struggling down the bottom of the uh, the league. Man United struggling at the top of the league. I actually looked at the league table and I discovered, much to my surprise, that Manchester United are fourth. Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, how did that happen? I I demand a recount. Because I just don't, I don't see how it's happening. But they, they created so many chances in this match and failed to put anything away. Sean, you must be frustrated. It was only one team playing football for 90 minutes in that game. United created so many chances. Ronaldo hitting the post, Ronaldo having an offside goal, Ilanga missing a one-on-one, Bruno missing a one-on-one. It was frustrating because... United fans finally got what they wanted, which was Lindelof and Varane partnering each other in defence. And they were solid together. The distribution from both of them was, was brilliant. Erwan Bissaka was probably playing his best game of the season. Every player played really well. But the one thing that was missing from the game was a goal. And we've seen it multiple times this season. If the defence plays badly, the attack plays well. If the attack plays poorly, the defence plays well. The consistency is not there in the team to play these to win these games, right? But I saw more of a team performing on the day. And that was the only real positive I could look at for the rest of the season. And the reason why United are in fourth is because the teams below them have many games in hand. Arsenal have three games in hand. Spurs have, I think, two or three games in hand. The ball isn't in United's court anymore, right? The faith of the top four really isn't in United's hand. They could win every game and still not get top four. Can mm. United build from this? I think they can. It's just a matter of, you know, the, that final piece of the puzzle, which is finish the games off. Yeah, I, I I agree with Sean. Actually, I think that uh, there were promising signs there, despite it being nil nil. I thought they they were more cohesive, and the chances were interesting as much as they were incisive, or not incisive. Uh, do do you think, Arvin, that United are turning some kind of corner? But also, let's let's have a shout out for Watford's 
defense. I mean, Watford, what? They've taken four points off United this season. They won earlier in the season. Now they've drawn at Old Trafford. You give them that when they look at the initial fixture list, they would have taken it any any time of the day. Uh, and first ever clean sheet at Old Trafford. I think I was looking at something. Roy hasn't lost in Old Trafford in the last four games. So he obviously clearly knows what to do. Good old Roy when he goes over to Old Trafford. <laughs> but I agree with Sean. I think United... Defense and midfield, they, they they look sorted. They looked like they looked like there was structure. They looked there was fluidity. They they looked like they they they, they understood what Ralph Ragnit was expecting of them. It's just finishing that off. The attackers just couldn't get going. If you play the same game next week, Man United wins this game. I mean, they had twenty two shots against the Hornets. Twenty two <laughs> shots. Uh, Ronaldo for me, I, I just. And I love Ronaldo, but I just think he's just drained of a little bit of self-belief at this moment. And I don't know that's crazy to say, but after he's, he hit the post early on and then offside call, you could see he was kind of snapping at chances. And then with Bruno, I mean, captain of the day, he, he played like a man on the mission, but the finishing also was a little bit disappointing. And Tira Langa for me is, is just a, it's just a breath of fresh air in that United squad. So I think it's just a matter of sorting that attacking part. Uh, but United have come out and said they need a younger number nine up front, whoever that is at the end of the season, we'll see. But Ralph Rannick slowly is putting it into place. You just hope that the board make the right decision of who that next man is going to be for Man United. Yeah. I, it, yeah. On paper, in a sense, it was a nil-nil defeat, but it actually had some really promising uh, signs for the future there, if they can if they can continue on that track. Well, I'd like to turn now to uh, a bottom-of-the-table club. Well, yeah, not exactly bottom. Well, struggling to teams that are in trouble uh brentford nil newcastle two a kind of a resurgent newcastle a new look newcastle and a reckless tackle i think at the uh, near the beginning of the match that uh, left brentford down to 10 men 10 men can often be a very hard thing to beat but uh, newcastle did sean do you think that uh, we're beginning to see some kind of uh, some some kind of brand new newcastle Yes, in in a way, because okay, you look at the owners coming in, they came in with a mission, right? They were going to make Newcastle a strong team, a team that could challenge for the league, could challenge for the Champions League in the future and everything. But the first thing was to get them away, far away from the relegation zone as possible. And they've done that, right? You've seen players like Chris Wood pulling weight. He, I think he had his best game in a Newcastle shirt so far against uh, Brentford. The tackle was terrible. And this is when I say VAR does really well. Right, because when the tackle first happened, it went the way of Brentford. Brentford got the call. It was like, oh, it was a foul against Newcastle. And then he gets a whisper in his ear and he goes and checks the screen and says, oh my God, that's actually a terrible tackle. And then gives a red card. That's when VAR shows its best. You know, it's like, yeah, this is what it's there for. But on the topic of Newcastle, I think this is something they can build on. I mean, the fact that they've lost Trippier for pretty much the rest of the season is pretty terrible. But you're seeing a new Newcastle. You know, they, they look good when they play football. They, the team full of belief. And that's nice to see because I don't, I can't imagine Newcastle going back down again <laughs> after a few years ago. So this is good for them. And it, I, I'm only curious as to know what happens next season because I think Newcastle will be safe, right? I think they have enough. They, they're doing enough. And I think Brentford will be safe as well. But I'm curious as to know how Newcastle is going to do in the summer, or who they're going to bring in. Uh, Sean surprised me that he thinks Brentford's going to be safe, Arvin. Uh, if Brentford are safe, then that means Leeds might not be safe. Uh, do you think Brentford are going to turn a corner? They've, they've been really struggling in the last months. 
Yeah, they're dropping like a stone. I mean, Leeds have got games, which other teams have got games over Leeds. If they win, they go above Leeds. But Leeds has got a game over Brentford, and if they win, they go ahead of Brentford. Uh, that was a beautiful. That was a beautiful moment in the game, seeing Christian Eriksen come on. I thought that was a, a really good moment for the weekend. Uh, and you could see when he came on, uh, Cam. He just technically, he's just so far superior than the rest of the Brentford squad. Uh, when they don't have Ivan Tony, like in this game, they they struggle because he's he's so, he's so important to the part of the identity of what Brentford does, and he was that that driving force in the championship, and he has been to a certain extent in the Premier League as well. Uh, the red card, it's 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 a it's a definite red card, uh, but it's another difficult day for the bees, and they're just dropping like a stone at the moment. They they need to rectify this. That early season promise of beating Arsenal on day one and then getting a couple of good wins. Every, Everyone's like Brentford for top 10, but that's far away from it. And the one thing that Thomas Frank has is making a mistake that he's made in the championship when he didn't get promoted is that when things don't go right for Thomas Frank, he's one of the most bitter managers out there. He is constantly mourning. He is constantly mourning about everything. <laughs> and I think there's a sense of delusion that he doesn't realize that he needs to fix things within the Brentford squad right now. So yeah, uh, Still, all to play for. I think Ericsson will do. Will get them some good, good moments, but they need to sort of quite a few things. And my concern is that Scandinavian backline is looking less stronger than what it is, and they need that to get back to where they need to be. And uh, something I learned from this match, uh, Joe Linton. I thought it was an English guy called Joe Linton, and turns out it's a Brazilian called Joe Linton. So, learn something new every day, and. Uh, but uh, we're going to leave and come back with some more Premier League here on Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Because whilst he's there, it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that good. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Off the Ball with Sean Maholtra and Arvin Sidhu. And uh, I, I want to turn to uh, Southampton to Norwich nil. I, it doesn't sound a terribly exciting lineup, but the thing is, I feel like I've been very dismissive of Southampton <laughs> o- o- over the last, well, all my life. <laughs> and, and so I think it's time to really give them a bit of attention because their manager, Hassan Hartl, has he's really turned things around. I was looking back, it was a 9-0 defeat back in February 2021. And I kind of feel like since then, since that moment, he's constructed something there. They're, they're doing well in the league. And uh, they're ninth. They're a very solid ninth in the league. And Sean, I mean, do you think that Ralph Hasenhuttle has been doing something right yeah, I mean, I've, I've been saying it week in, week out now that, you know, in the beginning of the season, they struggled a little bit. They would get, be getting picked off, but they were playing well, right? He has drilled this team from back to front so well. Everyone plays at such a high intensity. Whenever I think of, let's say, Manchester United going up against Southampton, as we did a few weeks ago, I'm afraid because I know there's a team over there that are going to be playing attacking football. They're going to be very structured, Everyone knows their role. You have youth and you have experience in that team. What do I mean by experience in the team? You have the, the two generals in midfield. You have Romeo and you have Ward Prowse. Okay. Defensively, both of them will probably break someone's leg for you. Offensively, they'll do everything for you as well. And when you have youth like Livermento, Broya, all capable of scoring goals, they play in a system that fits them so well. And I think Hausen has finally gotten it right for, for Southampton this season. And they've turned the corner. I think they can actually push for a 
probably a top eight position. They're ninth right now. They can try and push for that conference league position. I think that's a cup that they could go for or Europa League position. It's not too late. Well, that's quite a turnaround, isn't it? Uh, Arvin, um, another team that I've been, a club that I've been, uh, well, not dismissive of, but I keep forgetting is Norwich. And I want to ask something, which has really been on my mind about Norwich, is I think they're doomed. They're doomed, right? They're going to go down. But is that such a bad thing? They're a yo-yo club, but they are financially sound. They have not overstretched themselves. They didn't, they didn't go up, rush off and, and buy some, some 40-year-old Brazilian, I can't think who off the top of my head, to, to be on their front line. I think that Norwich would be quite content because they'll get the parachute payments and they'll come back again. You're a Leeds fan. You remember, surely, when Leeds did quite the opposite, spent far too much, and it was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that the owners would be happy. Delia Smith is still part of the board over there. I think the owners would be happy with that. I mean, because the parachute payments helps them. And then when they get promoted up, I mean, it's the most expensive game in the in, in the world, the playoff final, especially when they get to the playoffs and they go through the final. But do the fans want it? I don't think so. Ask any Norwich fan, do you want to be in a situation where you're in one season in the Premier League and the next season in the Championship? No, you don't want that. So I think the owners would be happy with it. I don't think so. Players would be happy with it. I mean, you look at the likes of Billy Gilmore, would he want to be with Norwich when they go down? I don't think so. Max Ahrens, I think he's long overstayed his time at, at Norwich. So it's 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 something that I think benefits one group rather than the other. But I mean, let's look at this, Cam. 26 games played, 17 losses. They, they, they just rock bottom. They had a period where but Dean Smith was kind of turning them around a little bit. But he's come out after this game and say that the players know that they have to be better. I just feel with Norwich that the players cannot be better than what they are. You mm. can have the best coach there, but there's a lot, a lot of players in that squad that are championship material. I mean, Grant Hanley will never cut it in the Premier League. Ozan Kabak was one of Liverpool's. Probably Jürgen Klopp looks back at it and thinks that that was one signing that I didn't need to make. He He's not even Premier League material. So for me... Demon Pukki will be there next season. He'll probably be top, top scorer in the championship again. <laughs> They'll probably come back up again. But they just don't have the, the, the material to survive in the Premier League. And it's sad for the fans. I feel for the fans. Hmm. All right. All right. Okay, I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded. It's bad. What they're doing is bad. Uh, meanwhile, somebody who's doing something good, West Ham won Wolves nil. Wolves have... I think they played three matches last week. That's crazy. They must be exhausted. But they managed to get uh, three points out of that that run. But West Ham, Sean, I want to ask you a question. I I don't know the answer to this, and I really want to know, what is David Moyes doing right? Tactically, What? How, how does he set up his team that they are doing so well in the league? I think it's a very stubborn West Ham team. I always look down the spine of a team. The spine of the team is strong. You have a chance in every game. Okay, So if you look from back to front or front to back. You have Antonio, Suchek, Rice, uh, uh, in defense. They have in defense. I tend to forget. But yeah, you, you look at their, even their midfield. Rice alone, probably to me this season alone has been the best midfielder in the league. Right? You put him up there, definitely. You have a team now that is playing at such a high intensity, not not in terms of their style of football, but in terms of how tough they are to break down. Yeah, there'll be the odd one nils against them or the, the big score lines that go against them, but you see a team that doesn't give up. You see a team that is playing for the manager. You know, at his first stint there, they did all right in the beginning and then David Moyes got sacked. And then he's come back and you see this new revitalized West Ham, who I think are good favorites to, to, to win the Europa League. No, no joke there. 
you have a very, very, very good team. And I think there are players in that team who may not be household names, but they know what it means to play for West Ham. They know what it means to, to, to turn up for the big games. Wolves is no easy, easy opposition to go against, right? But I think fatigue played a huge part in Wolves in the game against West Ham. Right. I watched the highlights alone because I didn't watch the game, but Wolves didn't look their, their usual fluid attacking self like they did against Arsenal a few days ago where they every chance they could have won that game as well. But the fatigue is playing in. Wolves don't have as big a team as most of the other teams in the league. So I think West Ham have a chance, have a huge chance. I don't think they'll get Champions League football, but I think there's a chance that they could win Europa League and maybe get Champions League football from Wow, well, I mean, that... That's such a contrast to what I think people were thinking at the beginning of the season. <laughs> uh, Arvin, I want to ask you uh, another managerial conundrum for me. With uh, Brighton nil, Aston Villa 2, the, the, the Stephen Gerrard revolution continues over at Villa. But I want to know, first of all, if you've managed to work out what is Gerrard's philosophy, football philosophy, but also this, this clash of the... the with Potter, you have this at Britain, at Britain in Brighton, this managerial pro who's worked his way up through the ranks. He's not a star player. And then you have Gerard, who is this famous name. And we've often seen the clash of that. And famous names have not always turned out to be the great managers. Do you think, uh, or where do you, which side do you stand on with that kind of contrast? I mean, with, with Brighton, if you look at football stats, the expected goals are always a column that they're right up there. They need the expected goals to be up there for them to eventually convert. They're not a high-scoring team, but they create a lot of chances. That's what Graham Potter has modelled it on. So the Seagull fans have always clamoured season after season, can we get a prolific striker to put away the chances that we create? And they don't have that. They don't have. They have good, honest, hard workers in the likes of Neil Mope and Danny Welbeck, but you don't have someone who's going to get you 15 goals a season. So that's how Graham Potter's philosophy is built on. Expected goals are very high. But unfortunately, in a game like this, when you have the likes of Ezri Konsa and Tyron Minks that shut you out and expected goals are, I think, 0.26, it doesn't work for Brighton because they don't create. When they don't create, they can't finish. So that's where Brighton is. With Gerard, he's I still consider him still quite new in the managerial reign of things. Did fantastic at Rangers. But let's, keep, let's not take away from the fact that this was his first win in seven games. I mean, he came on and he was brilliant. But then after that, he realised that this is a step up of the Premier League. So with Gerard, you have a more... A philosophy where the game is a more holistic and there's control all around the pitch. But with Graham Potter, it's more of creating chances. So for me, Gerard uh, is a bigger name. He will attract bigger players. Villa is a bigger bigger team than, I mean, second big, bigger city in, in the UK. They will attract bigger players. But Graham Potter, I think if you give him a bigger squad, a better team, better strikers, he'll do well. So that's why I stand on it. I, but I still feel that Graham Potter is kind of punching above his weight at Brighton at this moment in time. Hey, Sean, I mean, uh, what do you think? The, 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 the old guard, the Klops, uh, the Pep Guardiola's, they're still young men, actually, by the way. But there's going to be a turnover at some point. Yeah. Do you think that Potter and the likes of Potter and uh, Lampard, perhaps, and uh, Gerard, can they make that step up to be the fresh faces alongside David Moyes? I think they can. It's a matter of will they be given the chance to do it? Because if you look at people like, let's say, David Moyes, for example, okay, we're going to use David Moyes. He was at Everton for a long period of time, made his name there. It's stable, right? The entire time he was at Everton. If you look at football nowadays, you don't get that opportunity to stay at a club to put in your philosophies and try things out and see if it works eventually. Because all you need to do is go on a run of bad games and you're gone. 
that happened to Lampard. You know, you just have to be on a few like <laughs> losses and you're gone. Poor old Arvin is <laughs> shaking. Yes, yes, like, like that, like in Leeds. Yeah, but I think there's every opportunity for them to do it. Is whether they get the opportunity by their clubs to do it, right? Gerard started off well, like Arvin said, but it, it went downhill. Seven games without a win, and then wins a game. If they constantly be inconsistent, constantly be inconsistent. What an oxymoron! <laughs> and, but if they don't get it right. They're gonna be gone, and then you're not gonna remember them for for what they've done as a manager. You remember them as players, which is, I think there's a higher likelihood of happening with them. With Graham Potter, you know, he's what he's like. Arvin said he's punching above his weight. There's a chance he could go to a bigger club, and there's no guarantee David Moyes, i.e., going to a bigger club will make you a better manager or get, guarantee you success. Well, uh, we got one more match, but we're gonna have to come to that one after our break, and uh, well, we'll talk about it in a moment here on Off the Ball on BFM eighty nine point nine. England's highest quality title race of all time, but coming out on top again in the Premier League, Manchester City. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Off the Ball, and we have one uh, more Premier League match to talk about. It's the big one. That's why we've kept it for last. Uh, it's the mo- <laughs> Arvind is uh, confused by what I'm saying. No, Arvind, it's the big one. It's the- we've kept it to last because uh, it's the one that everyone was talking about. Crystal Palace won, Burnley won. I- I've actually been a b- big fan of Crystal Palace this season. But uh, Sean Dyche is not leaving this Premier League without a fight, and um, which I guess would be expected. I'd like to ask simultaneous questions of you, Arvin. Uh, Crystal Palace, what what exactly are they doing there? What, <laughs> last season it was Roy Hodgson. It was, I mean, a you know, different look altogether. And Burnley and Sean Dyche, should we should we say that he's a great manager? He's done he's done remarkable things with an incredibly small team. There were times where Burnley didn't make any signings in the summer. There were times when that happened, right? I mean, but he this is what Sean Dyche and Burnley do. So many times you 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 count them out, they stay in the game and they just find a way to come back in. Just like in the Premier League, you would think that they're going to go down, they're going to get relegated. They find a way to stay back in. So that's why I, I know when you look at football-wise and entertainment for value, Norwich would be a team that's more entertaining than Burnley. But Burnley get, they, their philosophy of the coach and the club is aligned. They know they need to be dirty about it. They need to, they need to be ugly about it. But they know that guarantees them in the Premier League. And that's what they've done season on season. So this was a hard-fought draw, but it's such a such a precious point for Burnley. I mean, to go, to go away at Selhurst Park, which can be quite a hostile ground, to get that that point, great for them. And and the goal, I always speak about key moments that goals need to happen. Scoring right after halftime. Aaron Lennon on the right, bit of a shot. Unfortunate deflection of Luka Mijalovic. But they will take that. You ask Burnley, they, they don't want 30 passes to lead to a goal. They don't want a bicycle kick. They don't want a shot from outside the box. Give them scrappy ones, they'll take all of it. So I think Burnley are doing what they, what Burnley does. Uh, but Crystal Palace, I mean, it's not really a revolution that Patrick Vieira has done there, but a nice evolution from what Roy Hodgson left them. A strong base, but now he's kind of sprinkled a little bit of flair all around. I thought I thought Michael Olise was fantastic on the yep. day on the right. Such a good player. So for me... Um, Palace more in, in, more entertaining, but Bernie doing what Bernie does. Mm. Wow, Arvin really singing the praises of Sean Dyche there. I guess you you would like him to be the new manager of uh, Leeds United. No, no, no. suddenly shaking no, his head. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> 
Um, but it is what they need, isn't it? All right, we're going to talk Leeds United for one more second, OK? I'm sorry, we've gone back to them and then we'll carry on with talking about uh, geopolitics. But uh, before we leave Premier League, I- I've been thinking the, the kind of managers who are really worth their weight in gold, who are so important that, say, a U- Leeds would need would be the, the Neil Warnocks. Sam Allardyce. Oh, the look on Arvin's face, poor thing. I'm going to put him on mute. I'm going to put him on mute. And turn to you, Sean. I mean, I what sh- would you prescribe for, for Leeds United? See, they're so used to this. I mean, I, I can't speak on behalf of Leeds, right? but I, what I've seen in the league is a team that plays with no fear. Right? You, you can't just bring in, your, let's say, your Sam Allardyces of the world to say, hey, you know what? Let's just shut up shop. Let's just play defensively and nick the odd 1-0 here and there, maybe. You can't tell a team that has been playing with such a high intensity and a certain mindset. And I don't know, I, recently on social media, I've seen how all the players have reacted to Marcelo Bielsa leaving. You don't normally see that. You're not going to get a team to just go, okay, we're going to play some negative football, maybe scrap things here and there. You're going to need someone who's going to believe in the project that can work with those players there. So I don't think it's a easy thing of just going, yeah, let's just get someone who's, you know, used to safety. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to take you off mute now, Arvin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to move on though. I want to talk uh, geopolitics because the, the, the war in Ukraine, Putin's war, people are calling it, has... Uh, just in just in a few days has shaken the world up uh, but also uh, sports and it, sports have been something that uh, Vladimir Putin has always been very strong in pushing every time there's an Olympics there's also an invasion of some country by him and um, sports washing it's called of course the, the big uh, club in English football that would be affected by this is Roman Abramovich's Chelsea so things have been happening there. He has sort of stepped down from running the club and saying that the board of trustees will run the club. I think they've also, but they in turn have sort of said, we don't want to do that. So Arvin, what, do you know what, what is the, the situation moving forward and what's going to happen to Chelsea? I mean, I think when you look at sports washing, right, I mean, it's really using international sporting events to kind of scour the, the, the strain of your misrule of what you're doing from a country perspective, right? I mean, he's very skilled in this area. He's done it before, like you've said. There are photos of him, famous photos of him on the judo mat, from, on him on an ice hockey rink. So he's very famous of portraying those images. But I, I feel that he... He will move into Ukraine in this, but the one area that he's losing potentially in this one is the sports washing piece. Because right now, there are a couple of things that have happened already. I mean, it doesn't affect him directly, but it affects Russia, which in a way should. They've lost the Champions League final from St. Petersburg. It's it's his hometown. So Putin has lost the Champions League final to, to France. They've lost the Formula One Grand Prix. So they're not having that there. There's talk about expelling them from the World Cup. Poland who they play in the next round, has said, we don't want to play them. Initially, they were okay playing in a neutral ground, but now they say, we don't want to play Russia. The Czech and the Sweden who are waiting the next round have said, we don't want to play them as well. But UEFA and FIFA have to be a bit stronger than this. They didn't take any action in 2008 when he invaded Belarus. They didn't take any action when he annexed Crimea. So for me, the, the, the associations have to take a, a, a stronger stance. They've come out now and said that Russia will not play with a national anthem and they won't be called Russia. They'll be called the association, but doesn't do any good for anything. I mean, it doesn't do any good for anyone. So for, but for Chelsea, it's very interesting because if you ask any Chelsea fan, Roman Abramovich has been a great owner for them. He's been, he's brought them unparalleled success. 
the six trustees of these its foundation, Bruce Buck, a very very experienced operator, Emma Hayes, the manager of their team, the, the women's team, they've asked for further details, and they might they might turn it down as well. But this all comes down to the fact that Roman Abramovich and Vladimir Putin are close. When the oligarchs fell in Russia, there were half of them that were against Putin and they were discarded. Roman chose to be with Putin and he's in very good books with him. So I don't think they'll affect them tremendously, but he needs to get this stewardship to be on par with him. And I'm sure he'll give them the information that they need. Well, that's, that's very good from our uh, Ukraine uh, correspondent out in the field in <laughs> Kiev. That's well done. So, Sean, I'm going to ask you, though, um, something which I've been looking at, at Twitter and the responses from some Chelsea fans. Being a football fan is a very strange thing. You, you associate yourself emotionally and you, you have belief and you follow them, but you have absolutely no control over anything that happens on the pitch or off the pitch. And you become, you're just bound to whatever they do. And invariably, people then will applaud anything that happens. So a number of Chelsea fans are saying, oh, you know, okay, Roman Abramovich has not condemned the invasion of uh, Ukraine, but does anybody mention the good work he did about charities back in whatever, whatever? And... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a team per se. Sean, what, is a, what does a football fan do? I mean, I, if I look away from Roman Abramovich and I look at it as a Man United supporter, you want what's best for your club. At the end of the day, football-wise, you want what's best for your club, and that's winning trophies or doing well. And you want to be in the good books, right? What's happening in Ukraine now it's, it's terrible. And, you know, as a Chelsea fan, you'd probably be thinking, wow, you know, we have Roman Abramovich who's, you know, with Putin and all these kind of things. It's a bit difficult to, to think of. But at the end of the day, you know, as a fan, the most important thing is how my team does. Is everything okay? Will the players still be there? Will the club still run the same way? I think that's the, the main priority for Chelsea fans right now. They'll be thinking about their team because they're still in, in, in the, the FA Cup. They're still in the Premier League chase and everything you want success you're not going to entirely look at Abramovich and go you know what's going to happen with him of course you know I still think Abramovich will still be the owner of Chelsea and I still think he'll, he'll, he'll run things but for right now I think he'll go quiet they'll try to get you know people in line to do certain jobs for now but over the long haul I think Abramovich will come back but I think Chelsea fans again will just be focusing on the football for right now yeah, because I don't, I don't see how it could be otherwise. It's not like, I mean, the UK government are pretty spineless and they don't have the appetite to do anything. What are they going to do, nationalise Chelsea? It's Roman Abramovich's money, uh, Arvind. It's, Abramovich just sits back and just does nothing. Yeah, there's talk of, I mean, there's discussions in the UK Parliament over sanctions uh, on him, calling for his assets to be frozen or confiscated. But I mean, on, on what grounds? I mean, already on what grounds? I mean, yes, he's a supporter of what's happening in his home country, but he's not committed any crimes in, in the UK. I mean, on what grounds are you going to do it? So, and the, 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 the UK government are also conscious that they need the money in the Premier League. The reason why the Premier League is so successful compared to the La Ligas and the Serie A's of the world is because of the amount of money that's in there. It might be the best product. Is it the most skilled product? Maybe not. But the amount of money in that league is it's is staggering amount. So, at the end of the day, they look at it and say that, is he bringing us a profit? He is. Do we really need to, to froze his assets? Maybe not so. So I, I agree with you. I don't think that they're strong enough to take real serious action against him. Well, and Britain's biggest export is the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what else is there? They don't have the Beatles anymore. They only got the Premier League. <laughs> 
Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. And, well, watch this space vis-a-vis um, Chelsea, but also sports washing in general. And uh, so, well, a, th- a thank you to our two pundits, our two strikers, who I think scored a brace between them, uh, Sean Maholtra. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope everyone has a good week and also peace and love to everyone, mate. Thank you. And and also, well, um, you know, a very sad, and, I'm, and I'm, I've never seen him this sad. It, it saddens me. Arvin Sidhu, are you going to be okay? Yeah. Thank you, everyone. We'll be all right. Uh, we'll remember the good times. But yeah, once again, we will really miss you, Marcelo. Well, thank you very much, myself, Cam uh, Raslan. And uh, please join us again on Friday. Uh, but for now, it's Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.